Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your donations make a way with words possible. Donate online at waywardradio.org slash donate. Thank you. Support for Away With Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. Learn more at nu.edu. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. A couple of friends of mine were very excited recently when they scored tickets to the World Cup in South Africa. Sweet! And it turns out that they're from South Africa themselves, so we've been talking about some of the language they'll hear when they go back. And my friends have convinced me that South African English is really liquor. Do you know that uh, word? Excuse me? <laughs> they're all drunk? <laughs> no, no, it means really great. It means really ah, cool. L-E-K-K-E-R with mm-hmm. that sort of trill at the end, liquor. Mm-hmm. And you know, South African slang is this incredibly rich mixture of Afrikaans, which was developed from the Dutch, and mm-hmm. indigenous languages like Zulu and English. And you know, if you're following the World Cup, then you know that the word disky... D-I-S-K-I in South Mm -hmm. African slang doesn't have anything to do with Frisbees. It means a soccer ball. Ah, very good. So it's about football in general, or what we call soccer. Right, right. And Grant, Disky is also the name of a dance craze that's sweeping South Africa right now. It mimics the movements of soccer players. It's sort of this uh, South African version of the Macarena. It looks like a whole lot of fun and great exercise. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, I'm looking here at an article from The Guardian, the British newspaper. They had a great list of slang for people who are going to South Africa for the World Cup. But, you know, one leapt out at me, the word Ubuntu. Oh, yeah, that's And a now great they've word. defined this as the Southern African philosophy with the essential tenet that a person is a person because of other people. No man is an island. But, you know, I know Ubuntu because it's the name of a Linux distribution. <laughs> Linux Wait, is a Linux software? is an operating yeah Linux is an operating system for for PCs and I have a computer at home that has a Linux distribution on it, um, Jaunty Jackalope or something like that and it's called Ubuntu. That's the name that the people gave it because of this idea that everyone is working together to make this free software. Oh, it's free. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they really uh, have an cool. overly so it's U B U N T U and I think some people have used this for businesses. It's cool. Ubuntu. Yeah. Well, no, fine. Anyway, if you'd like to talk about South African slang or any other kind of slang or language in general, call us, 1-877-929-9673. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Rachel from San Diego. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Hi, Rachel. What can we do for you? Well, I have a question for you guys. Um, I am taking a French class at the moment, and once you notice something, you seem to see it everywhere. And mm-hmm. so I began to notice the phrase, um, pardon my French, that we use when we cuss in English here in the States. And I was wondering, why do we use this phrase? Mm-hmm. Aha, very interesting. So you're hearing people uh, curse a blue streak and then they sort of back up, right? They put it in reverse and say, oh, pardon my French. Yes, or even with anything, you know, you hear it on TV or in movies or even someone might say it when they've even done 
not necessarily cussing, but said something negative or mm-hmm, was gay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And I asked my French teacher, because I'm taking a French 101 class, and um, she, you know, her first thing she said very nicely was, um, you know, it's kind of offensive because I think um, American people cuss a lot more than the French do. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, you think? Oh, well, no, no. <laughs> Wait a minute. Ask, ask her what French actors say to oh, each other right no. before they go on stage. <laughs> oh, is there a like a saying that is a yeah? Oh. Yeah, I mean, we say break a leg. They say they say, well, I would have to tell you and then say pardon my French. <laughs> yeah, they basically, they basically say get stuffed, right? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You know, after she did say it offends her sometimes, she did say she thought possibly it could be um, derived from the idea that at one point American society was more puritanical or more straight-laced and French society was seen as more progressive. And so Americans might have used that phrase when, you know, saying something risque to kind of show that the French were more to that level or more risque or more... Mm. Yes, I think we definitely have a reputation in Europe of being much more puritanical. Mm-hmm. Oh, true or not, but we do have the reputation. But I want to go back to her claim that the French curse less than the Americans. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a, a load of bollocks, actually. Because, <laughs> pardon, <laughs> no, pardon his French. Pardon, yeah, my pardon fr- his par- British. <laughs> pardon my British. I got to say, because I, I, maybe it was the crowd I was hanging with in France. It was artists and actors <laughs> and, and musicians and the like. But when I lived in France, their, their language was rougher than mine. They, I, f- I felt like a... a, a kindergarten teacher, you know, the way I was speaking. The French can hold their own when it comes to cursing. Anyway, your question, though, was about pardon my French. So somebody says something, a curse word or a swear word or something insulting, and they say, oh, well, pardon my French. And it's a way of kind of getting out of the moment, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of escaping the responsibility for the thing they've said. Yeah, just saying, oopsie. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Excuse me. I'm thinking that it probably has to do with the conflicted relationship that the English have had with the French over Mm -hmm. the centuries. You know, for for centuries, they've, they've hated each other. Uh, at one level or another. And yet we also, English speakers, are sort of wistful, I think, about the French language. You know, we're, we're, we borrow so many words from French, yes. joie de vivre and that kind of thing. And people used to apologize for using French sometimes when they would use something normal like that. They would say, pardon my French. Uh-huh, uh, yeah. But people were often, especially during Victorian times, they were, they were reaching for those, those fancy French words that sound impressive, mm-hmm. I think. But at the same time, there are a lot of uh, terms in English that are negative involving the French. Like, do you know what a French letter is? No. Hmm. Do you, Grant? I think so, but go ahead and tell me. <laughs> okay. He's pretending that he doesn't know that a French letter is a condom. Oh, oh yes, of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and if you take French leave, it means you leave a party without thanking the hosts. And the French have a a uh, reciprocal phrase like that that means to take English leave. But I don't think that they say pardon my English when they curse. But to pardon my French, if you go back to the earliest usage that you can find in the 1850s and 60s, you'll often find that somebody has said something mildly offensive. And what when and then they say, pardon my French, and they say it in such a way with other kinds of phraseology that allows the hearer to go ahead and ignore the offensive thing that they said. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a way of saying excuse me, and so that all parties can agree that even though an offensive thing was said, let's not dwell upon it and move on to the next thing. So you're pretending as if the thing you said is incomprehensible in in another language. Mm -hmm. And even in some of the earliest uses, I find it actually is in French. There's an example from a book called Two Lives or To Seem and To Be by Maria Jane McIntosh from 1853. And in it, one one of the people says, 
The American ladies are charming, very charming. Mais on peut prude. Pardon my French. I could not be so bold to say it in English. In other words, she said that the American ladies are prudes in French in order to kind of disguise the insult that she was giving. And so, even though somebody might later say something actually in English, they all they still say "pardon my French" as a way of kind of just disguising the fact that it was offensive, allowing you to believe that you misunderstood. Ah,、uh, that's what I did wonder: is if it actually at some point was used with French language, which would make much more sense than to just use. Say something in English and then say "pardon my French." Right.、But、at、mm-hmm. that point, I thought, "Why not pardon my Italian or Russian or I don't know?" Exactly.、Language. Right. Right.、Okay. And and I'm not aware of anything, say, for example, in Spanish that's you know "pardon my Portuguese" or something.、Mm-hmm. I think it's specifically <laughs> English French. Okay. Cool. Cool. Wow. Well, thank you very much for answering my question. I. Mais oui, mademoiselle. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, merci. Yeah, <laughs> au revoir. Au revoir. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, enjoy. Well, thank you. Thanks. Bye bye. Is there an idiomatic expression in English that's always got you a bit befuddled? Give us a call. We'll help you tease out the meanings and origins. One eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or put it in email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Mark in Dallas. Hello, Mark in Dallas. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I have a friend who grew up on a farm in North Dakota, and except for a period when he lived here in Texas,、uh, he's lived in North Dakota his whole life. In fact, he、uh, recently moved back there to live on the family farm he inherited, which is just a few miles from the Canadian border.、Mm-hmm. So we were talking on the phone, catching up, and I was asking about things on the farm.、Um, I'm a city dweller; I've never lived on a farm myself. And he happened to mention that he had recently walked into his kitchen, and there, in the middle of the room, was a moose. <laughs> and、yeah. I think that's kind of amazing. What was it、a、doing?、Mo- was it watching TV or <laughs> having a beer? <laughs> well, no, he said there was a moose, and I think, well, yeah, I think, well, okay, I'm a city dweller. I don't know, but、uh, it's very rural there, and、mm-hmm. it's so close to Canada. I figure. You know, I must be crawling with moose, and yeah, he might, he might legitimately really have a moose. They're gigantic <laughs> animals, but maybe he's got a big kitchen. Yeah, I mean, one or two is bound to get into someone's home. Right. Yeah, yeah. They're like vermin up there, right? You got a doggy、yeah. door and a small moose. <laughs> you、yeah. got a moose door. He lets them right in. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, "Well, what did you do? What in the world did you do about this?" And he said, "Well, I took a broom and I trapped it in the corner, and then I took a paper sack and I." Scooted it into the sack, and then I took it outside. <laughs> and I said, "Oh, <laughs> it was a mouse." <laughs> He said, "Yes, that's what I said. There was a moose in my hoose." <laughs> moose you know? in my hoose. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Moose <laughs> moose in my hoose. That's funny. So it's he lives close enough to Canada. That he's got a bit of that Canadian vowel sound. Then is that what we're, we're gathering here? Is that what it is? Because、yeah. he's also he's of Scandinavian descent, and I wondered if it had anything to do with that ancestry.、Mm. It's it's possible, but it sounds more like the traditional Canadian way of pronouncing the "ow" sound. There are three different ways that that sound is pronounced throughout Canada, and it's not consistent. And there isn't really one grand, great overarching Canadian accent. But they are known for this particular feature. Um, you've heard people make fun of the Canadian pronunciation of a, of about and, and claim that they say a、um, a boot, but it's more like a boat, a boat and、uh, yeah. it sounds、mm-hmm. like close to what your friend was doing. 
Again, there are three different pronunciations of that vowel in Canada. Charles Boberg, uh, I forget which university he is, but he's well known as a Canadian dialect researcher, has, has written at length on this and, and has done surveys and studies across the country. And you do find that that accent does tend to appear on the other side of the border between the two countries. The border is not this um, impenetrable wall where a dialect and accent features can't cross. They, there's some overlap there. So it could have been imported. Yeah, it could have been could have been imported. <laughs> But it's really oh. interesting. It's really interesting stuff to get to get into these vowel sounds, and when you start to map them and realize that you share this language feature with a whole group of people that you've never met, and you don't otherwise necessarily feel any affinity to. Wow, fascinating! It's called Canadian raising, and the raising refers to what happens to the vowel sounds in the mouth. So, mouse could easily sound a bit like moose because the back of the mouth is. You do, you do, yeah. I won't go too far into the the actual physical what happens to the tongue and the lips and so forth. But there's some raising there, as they call it. Though actually, you can graph it. There's a graph that sociolinguistics use that shows the little dot moves up when the when it changes from mouse to moose. Well, that's wow. a big change. <laughs> Did you hear <laughs> <I'm> a rodent? <laughs> well, wait yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was envisioning bullwinkle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, it, it can it can be gigantic, but they're both mammals and four legged, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's not too far a leap. <laughs> well, thank you very much. It's okay. our pleasure, Mark. Thank you for calling. You bet. Bye, bye, bye. Give us a call one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Tune up your brain and stay tuned. A word puzzle is next here on Away With Words. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Baird, and we're joined once more by our quiz guy, Greg Pliska. Hello, Greg. Good afternoon, evening, and morning, Martha and Grant. <laughs> wow, 24-7 Greg. Well, you know, we are an international program, so... That's right. We've got people in Kiribati listening intently right now. You got some something puzzling there for us? I do, actually. Do you remember our old friend William Snakespeare? Oh, oh yes. Yeah. yeah. He's the guy who wrote a whole bunch of plays with titles that are just one letter different from the titles of plays by William Shakespeare. Right. Okay. Well, it's time for us to look at some of the 10 films that were nominated for this year's Snakespear Oxcar Awards. These are awards that are just like the more familiar Oscars, but with one letter difference. <laughs> All right. Well, let's try it. What I'll do is I'll give you the description of a film that's been nominated. And to find the answer, you take the name of one of the 2010 Best Picture Oscar-nominated films – Mm-hmm. And you change one letter to a different letter to get the Snakespear Oxcar nominee. All right, here's your first description. A Marine suffering from partial paralysis uses advanced technology to enter the body of Mickey Rooney and ends up fighting a battle with Artie Shaw and Frank Sinatra for the love of an actress they all married. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Do I have to put on my 3D glasses for this one? Mm-hmm. That okay. would be, yeah. All right. So Just, Avatar? So Avatar, you're going to change one letter to get the answer. There's a there's an actress who married three times, in fact. That's oh. one of the 3D glasses. And she married these three men. 
Ava War. Ava <laughs> War is what we're looking for. That's yes. Terrible. I think that I think I broke a rib on that one. <laughs> That's a compliment, laughing. Greg. No. <laughs> Ava War. Oh ouch, no. Ouch, ouch. Avatar uh, to Ava War. Okay. There you go. Okay. okay. Yeah, no, you just now. needed to get rolling so you forget how it works. Oh, okay. <laughs> Here's another one. George Clooney plays a corporate downsizer who avoids close personal relationships by spending his time climbing evergreen trees. <laughs> Up in the fur? Up in the fur, exactly. <laughs> Change one letter in Up in the Air, you get Up in the Fur. You sure do. Another one of my favorites from this year's Oxcar contenders. Sandra Bullock stars as an interior designer who adopts a homeless young man and supports him in his aspiration to be a great hair colorist. The blonde side. The blonde side. <laughs> Correct. Change the eye and blind of the Gosh. blind side. You get the blonde side. Okay. All right. You're on a roll now. Yeah. An alien spaceship stalls over Johannesburg, and the local baseball team is no longer able to pay attention to their game. Oh, um, District 9? District 9, exactly. <laughs> Instead of District 9, okay. Instead of District 9. Oh, very exactly. nice. But if they could all see very clearly, they would be the distinct 9. No, oh, very good. It doesn't work. It doesn't actually work. It doesn't work. quite work, but no. it's good. It's good. I'll do that next time. We'll just mix the letters around a little more. This is actually Gabourey Sidibe's second film, in which we learn about everything she did in the first one. <laughs> Previous. Previous. Oh, <laughs> based on the novel good. by Sapphire. Right. You have to say the whole title, You have right? to the whole title based on the novel Push by Sapphire. <laughs> I, you know, give me too many letters to change. I'm just going to go with previous. Previous. That's great. Uh, nice. I like it because I got it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Well, they're always better when you get them. Right. Uh, in this movie, a young schoolgirl begins a romantic relationship with a man twice her age, Seduced by his worldliness as well as his expertise with wood chopping tools. <laughs> what? I did not see that one. Whatever so, it was. what would it be for Grant? What would it be for education? And well, what's the whole title of the movie? I thought it was an education. No? It is. Oh, an education. Oh, axe education. Axe education. <laughs> oh, exactly. very good. Axe education. <laughs> it's a sequel to the Saw franchise. Actually, All right. it's awful. <laughs> and. Great. This war thriller follows the exploits of an American bomb squad sent to Iraq to remove explosive devices from large Mongolian tents. <laughs> so the, the movie... The Yurt Locker. <laughs> the Yurt Locker. Oh, no. That's terrible. It's pretty bad. That's awful. <laughs> Great not work. The, not the Hurt Locker, but the Yurt Locker. Of course. <laughs> yurt locker. Man. Dangerous. I never would have thought you could get all these things. I need a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Are we Uh, done? Can you put us out of our misery? (laughs) Thanks, Greg. If you'd like to talk about weird words or grammar or slang, or you just want to try to stump us, give us a call, 1-877-929-9673. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Good morning. My name is Amy Logan, and I'm calling from beautiful San Diego, California. Well, hello, hello Amy Logan in beautiful San Diego, California. What can we do for you, Amy? Um, I am calling because um, I have um, – my boss is a chiropractor, and she's from Canada. And we often have, let's say, pleasant battles um, about 
words. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently we had one, and I just had to call you guys uh, to see if I was right. Um, <laughs> and I want to know, is it supposedly or supposedly? Because I say supposedly, and she says supposedly, and she says she's right. Uh, okay. Wait, you say S-U-P-P-O-S-A-B-L-Y. Correct. And she says S-U-P-P-O-S-E-D-L-Y. Correct. Okay, and can you use it in a sentence for us, Amy? Um, I supposedly am going to go to the grocery store. Supposedly. Mean, meaning but... that you have the intention to go, you're planning on going, but right. now it's somewhat in doubt. Right. Your boss says, supposedly, you're going yes. to the store? Yes. So I wasn't sure if it was like a tomato-tomato thing, if it's... You could say it interchangeably, or if it's like saying congratulations or congratulations. Do you get what I'm saying? I'm just not sure if it's mm-hmm. the way yeah. that we've changed it around. Yeah. Is there a pronunciation thing going on, or is there really a nuance of difference mm-hmm. between those yes, two ma'am. words? Well, we're kind of pausing here a second, Amy, because we really like you, and we think you're amazing, and you're funny, and it's already one of the best calls ever. But <laughs> Oh, thank you. <laughs> but... But I'm wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> I, I felt the buildup right there. <laughs> I felt it coming. Yeah, wah, it, wah, it's what they call wah, a rose. Wah. You hand somebody a flower, but it's got thorns. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, it, so it's not interchangeably is really what you're telling me. <laughs> no, it's not. There's only one right answer here, and it, it is supposedly with a D. Yeah, now there is a word supposedly, but it has a slightly different meaning. Mm-hmm. Because if you just take off the adverbial ending there, you get um, supposed versus supposable, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and supposed is more definite. It's the it's the thing that everybody assumes is going to happen, you know. Um, Adam Lambert is supposed to win American Idol. Got it. But if you say uh, it's supposable that he'll win American Idol, then it's like, eh, it's possible. Well, it's one that, it's that one could suppose. If it's supposable, right. then one could suppose. Right. But, but, but if, if it's supposed, it means it's already been supposed. It's already been assumed. It's already been supposed. And so, strictly speaking, the word you want if you're saying, what was it, I, I'm supposedly going to go to the store? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. No, no, no. This is clear-cut. It's supposedly. I mean, there's no <laughs> room for ambiguity she, on this well, one. Uh-oh, no, no. I hear she's on my side. Let's go back to that. <laughs> Don't make me well, come out of there. <laughs> but um, I guess it depends on how certain you are that you're going to go right. to the store. But in most people, if you look if you look at the large body of written English, like billions of words, people almost never write supposedly when it is used correctly. That is that true. They almost okay. always meant supposedly, and they got it wrong. Right. If you're saying I'm supposedly going to go to the store, it's like maybe I'll go to the store, maybe I'll go to the zoo. Because really to legitimately call something supposable and to say that it is supposedly true, you you need to be talking on a philosophical level and having this meta discussion about things that could be supposed. Right, right. It's almost theoretical. We don't do that. I mean, unless you're hanging out with Bertrand Russell in a French cafe, you're just not doing that. (laughs) Which I will do very soon, I promise. Oh, okay. <laughs> Supposedly. <laughs> well, I'm at work, so it looks like I'm going to have to walk back out into the office with my tail between my legs and 
Well, go out the back door. <laughs> go out the back door and just bring everyone lunch, and then it'll all yes. be okay, right? Go down to the taco truck, plan. get some burritos and some, some and everything. That is such a good plan. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. You guys are so awesome. Oh, you are too. You're fun to talk to, Amy. It was a good call, even if we had to deliver bad news. <laughs> Well, right. I appreciate it. And it's you, know, you, you could always keep it to yourself, right? <laughs> Maybe your boss well, doesn't listen to our show. Unfortunately, I'm on, on the air right now, so that's why oh. I'm keeping it to myself. Okay. Well, bye-bye. <laughs> Bye, guys. Have a great Go, day. Take Good care. luck. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank take you. Bye-bye. Oh, man. The grammar walk of shame. Do you have a dispute about language? Do you need an arbitrator? Give us a call, one 929 or lay out the sorry tale in email to words at waywardradio.org. <laughs> Hi, you have a way with words. Hello, hi. Hi, who's this? This is Everett Allen. Where are you calling from, Everett? I'm calling from Crescent City, California. Oh, welcome to the program. Oh, good to be here. What do you have on your mind? Well, I had a question. and this, The uh, question actually has evolved over a year, and it, it has to do with the term round-heeled woman. Ah, it, okay. It, and uh, the way this came about, my... Um, my um, significant other, or spousal equivalent, as I call her, uh, asked me a question because there was a person who came to her work site who was a temporary worker who, after she'd been there for a while, someone put on her locker they, a um, note saying, calling her a round-heeled woman. Nobody there seemed to know what that meant. And so my friend called me and asked me if I knew what it meant. I said, no, I don't know what it means. The woman left it there for the whole time she worked there, which was a few months. And amazingly enough, none of the women there who were smart, literate women knew anything about what that meant, at least at that point in time. Then this past February, a play showed up in San Francisco called Around the Hill Woman. And so my friend asked me again if I knew anything about it. By that time, we had determined that there may be a particular connotation to that word. That mm-hmm. um, and what What she said was that it was supposedly, quote, a woman with loose morals, or, you know, someone who goes from horizontal to vertical very easily. Or from vertical so, to horizontal. Uh, very. Or the other way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and then we found out that there was a book written, and the play was based on the book, and Sharon Gless was starting in the, starring in the play. Ah, really? And the play was uh, having its premiere there in San Francisco just mm-hmm. this past February. Uh-huh. So, Roundhead Woman is, as far as you know, a, a woman of loose morals. Well, that was that was the way it was described to me. I mean, I sort of know that now. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so what happened in the workplace? Did they take down the sign? No, the, the woman was there for about four months. She left it on her locker. Ah, okay. And uh, she didn't care what it meant. <laughs> wow. But the rest of the staff was curious as to who put it up there and, and why did they put it on her locker. Was she a boxer? <laughs> no. No. Okay. Okay. Because, well, that because, rules out one possibility, doesn't it? Yeah. I just I thought maybe she knew and didn't take offense because she was thinking of another meaning of round heel. Uh-huh. Yeah, because you're right. I mean, a round heeled person is somebody whose heels are so rounded that they rock back really easily. Whether they are <laughs> literally a pushover. Yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. <laughs> whether somebody you're somebody that a bearer of Y chromosomes would love to uh, hook up with, huh? <laughs> right, right. An, an easy woman, a woman of, of easy virtue who, okay, um, right. with the slightest provocation, is willing to go horizontal. And, and there's a, a famous expression from a slang dictionary from 1796 where they talk about a woman named 
a, a, a thorough good-natured winch. The, the term is thorough good-natured winch, and it's defined as one who being asked to sit down will lie down. <laughs> <laughs> That is a round-heeled woman. Okay. Timber! <laughs> that is a term from a long time ago. Right. Yeah, yeah, a willing wench. Well, round-heeled is a newer version of it. It dates from about the 1920s. And it's used okay, in boxing as well to refer to a boxer who goes down really easily. He has a round-heeled or glass jaw. Yeah. That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I feel enlightened. Oh, well, glad to do the lightning. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks for calling, Everett. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, ours Good too. talking Bye-bye. with you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, whether you're glass-jawed or round-heeled, give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Here's an easy riddle, Martha. Okay, good. An easy I hesitate one. to say easy because you never know. <laughs> <laughs> because I never know the answer. <laughs> what do a race car and a kayak have in common? A race car and a kayak have in common? You can They can go forwards and backwards. Yeah, they're both palindromes. Perfect. Yeah, nice job. Yeah, thank you. Send your riddles to words at waywardradio.org or call us 1-877-929-9673. Oh, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Claire from Seattle, Washington. Hello, Claire. Welcome. Thank you. What would you like to talk about? Well, I'm calling about the movie The Hurt Locker. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Nice film. Yeah, it was great. And I was wondering about the title. When it came out last summer, um, and I I just saw it recently, but it was getting Mm -hmm. a lot of great reviews. Mm -hmm. And the first few times I heard the phrase, it sort of sounded like the emphasis was, it sounded like a locker had been injured, which doesn't make sense, of course. But <laughs> yeah. um, sort of sounded like you might say the hurt puppy or something like that. Oh, like, no I thought it was the hurt person in junior high when I first yeah. heard it. You know, yeah. So I, you know, I was curious to see, um, and so before I went to see the movie, I looked it up, and um, actually, the word hurt it's more of a noun. Um, it mm-hmm. seems to be a metaphor for a place of great suffering. So mm-hmm. you're in a world of hurt mm-hmm. if you're in the hurt exactly. locker. So I'm wondering, you know, where that started and how long it's been around. I haven't heard it in other movies or literature. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good work done on this. Um, the Historical Dictionary of American Slang by Dr. John Leiter has a couple of really great entries about hurt with some of the varieties of expressions that use this including a world of hurt or in the hurt bag or in the hurt seat or, of course, in the hurt locker. Uh And uh, my colleague Ben Zimmer, who is the new language columnist for the New York Times, wrote an article on the Visual Thesaurus website in March where he talked about the hurt locker, and he found a slightly earlier use of it from the 1966 and another from 1967. Uh And so we find from these articles that it was at least as early as Vietnam where soldiers and journalists covering the war were talking about this place of just intense emotional pain and it's not Uh necessarily about the violence done to the body so much that it the body that is done to your well-being or done to your mind emotional thing yeah Mm -hmm. so you had it exactly right it's it and it's even it's especially if it's deliberate or the the pain has something to do with an orchestrated attack upon you or your your troops Uh or your or your men 
So is it sort of limited then the use to the military, or um, I guess it I kind is, of also thought of as something that might you might find in sports if you had a bad training session or something. But yeah, it's you more, could. I think mm-hmm. most of the uses are about war. Most mm-hmm. of them are, or in the coverage of war. So if if not by soldiers and people in the military or associated with the military, then by the journalists who are covering those people and the things that they do. Yeah. yeah, and the phrase was also used in a very powerful poem back in 2004. I don't know if you've seen that one no. by Brian Turner. We should link to it on the website because yeah, it's, I'd love to see that. it's a really wrenching poem. It's very short but very powerful, and, and it ends with open the hurt locker and see what there is of knives and teeth. Open the hurt locker and learn how rough men come hunting for souls. Mm. It's it's really wow. powerful, like that the movie. Is very powerful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I guess it'd be too much if I told my kids they had to clean their room or they'd be in the hurt locker. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know my grandfather. He used World of Hurt. He's like, boy, I will put the hurt on you, or I'll put the World of Hurt on you. And so maybe that's a better one to stick to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the World may- of Hurt. Maybe their great grandkids will use it that way. But for right now, I think yeah. it's a little too close to home. Right? Well, now I mean that that's a great title then for that movie. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fantastic, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks okay. for bringing it up. Take All care. Right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. 1-877-929-9673. Or put it in email to words at waywardradio.org. Words, words, and more words coming up next on Away With, well, you know. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Does having a big vocabulary really help you get ahead in life? And I'm not talking about just being able to speak and write well and write with ease. I mean having a big vocabulary in the sense of knowing really obscure words for specific things, like like knowing that the word catalate means to lick dishes, or that brochety <laughs> means having crooked teeth. Does using words like that really help you get ahead in life, or does it just brand you as a weird or <laughs> downright insufferable oh, person? Oh, I know what you've been reading. <laughs> the dictionary, of course. <laughs> exactly. But you've also been reading the article by Ammon Shea in the New York Times magazine, where he talked about vocabulary size. Ah, you're right. You're right. Does vocabulary size matter? It's a really good question. He points out, rightfully so, that the earliest dictionaries were often released for people who wanted to make themselves sound smarter. They weren't necessarily about defining all of the language, but so much as they were giving you the language that would would present well in the drawing room or in the the salons of the day or that sort of thing. And he also says that most famous quotations that you can mm-hmm. think of don't rely on polysyllabic mm-hmm. uh, Latinisms. He says Winston Churchill's oft-repeated statement about how he had nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat would have elicited nothing but puzzlement had he replaced that quartet of short nouns with the synonyms vermal, moiling, delacrimation, <laughs> and sudorification. <laughs> So the question is, are you a size queen, right, <laughs> when it comes to vocabulary? <laughs> well, then, I am, but... I'm not. No, the thing is, I, there's something to be said here for the simple word works best. On the other hand, I love the fact that English is so rich with synonyms. It's 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 one of the benefits of the language is that the subtle differences between these words means that you can sometimes get so precise that you couldn't say it any other way. Exactly, Grant. I agree with that. I mean, it's sort of like coming across something that Shakespeare says, or even a comedian, you know, when mm-hmm. they spot something and call attention to it. Hey, mm-hmm. did you ever notice how this or that happens? Mm-hmm. There's something about coming across a word that tells you that somebody noticed something 
And they just made you notice it, too. I mean, like the word groak he mentions in the article, G-R-O-A-K, which uh, means to stare silently at someone while they eat, perhaps in the hope of uh, being given some food. I mean, my dogs groak all the time. (laughs) As soon as you see the definition of that word, you know that moment. You know that feeling. And there's something kind of thrilling about knowing that somebody's been there before you. Mm -hmm, That's true. And I think the strange words that we know sometimes have their own message because they are strange. If I choose to use the word absquatulate instead of to scram or to flee, (laughs) then you know that I'm speaking in a different register of English and then there's some other extra information being carried there. Right, right. right. So I love them all. Mm -hmm. Of course, dropping them into conversation um, (laughs) is another matter entirely. I don't think you necessarily have to do that. Do you have an opinion? Does vocabulary matter? Do you need more words? Or will 15,000 do? Or 75,000? Or 150,000? Let us know. Words at waywardradio.org or 1-877-929-9673. Hi, you have a way with words. Good afternoon. Hi, who's this? This is Sharon from Oscar, calling from Connecticut. Hi, well, Sharon. hello, Sharon from Connecticut. How are you? I'm good. Well, I've been a medical transcriptionist for many, many years. And we continually encounter the following problem. The surgeon tells us the patient was brought to the operating room and, I quote, L-A-I-D, laid supine on the operating room table. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of conflicts among us. I'm an English major. My feeling is if the patient lays themselves down, you don't use L-A-I-D. It's L-A-Y. If the surgeon lays the patient down as if the patient were an inanimate object, then you must go, I assume, with the L-A-I-D. The old school used to say anything that was alive was always the lie-lay-lane, and anything that was not alive was lay-laid-laid. Please help us, because we're having a big fight about this. (laughs) Happy to, happy to. Well, you're right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That English major was worth it. Um, I, I never heard it explained as animate and inanimate, but that's that's kind of interesting. Okay, so the sentence in question here again is what, Sharon? The patient was brought to the operating room and laid supine on the operating room table. Okay, the patient was brought to the operating room and laid supine on the operating room table table. Okay, so the point is that there are two different things going on in this sentence, right? There are two different verbs. The patient was brought into the operating room, and then the question is, what happened next? Correct. Right? And if you put a was after that and, Mm -hmm. then that would make everything clear, right? So was laid, right. The patient was brought and was laid, and then suddenly there's some clarity. That works. Yeah, if the, if the surgeon does the laying down of the patient as an inanimate object. Mm-hmm. However, if I'm the patient and I'm on the stretcher and he, the, the surgeon tells me, move over onto the OR table, then the patient's doing the, the moving themselves. So the patient is actually, then the patient is laying on the operating room table. Here. Well, no, the patient is lying on the operating table. Okay, lot, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and let's <laughs> let's hope the patient isn't inanimate. That, <laughs> that doesn't speak very well, well for the be, doctor. No, but if, if they're under anesthetic, you're right, under anesthetic, right? <laughs> well, sometimes you are, but many times when your stretcher is rolled into the operating room, you are not, you're very conscious, you're not under anesthesia yet. So you get up and put yourself on the operating room table? 
Correct. You scoot over when they tell you to scoot oh, over from I table see. to table. I and see. my feeling is if you're doing the scooting, then you're doing the lying. Or if you're going to make it past tense because he's dictating this in the past tense, the patient mm-hmm. was brought to the R ER and the patient lay. Lie, lie, lay, right. Lay. Exactly. Yeah, lay mm-hmm. Sharon, I see what you're saying, though. I mean, there is a confusion there if you don't have the word was before laid. Correct. I think that's, that's where they could be a little bit mm-hmm. more clear because technically they could be right that the patient was brought to the operating room and understood was Mm-hmm. Laid. Right. So they've got an omitted was there that yeah. really just putting it back in there solves the problem and wash your hands of it and move on to the next bad sentence. Yeah. <laughs> well, they have a lot of those sometimes. <laughs> we have some who are very great grammarians and we have others who are not. So. Aha. Uh-huh. The sharper ones are the grammarians, right? Yeah. Some people are good with a prefix and a suffix and some people are just better with an appendix. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or a knife. Well, <laughs> well Sharon, keep up the good work. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate the call. Sure, go back and tell them, stat. I will. I will tell them I was right all along. Right on, sister. (laughs) Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you and your coworkers have a dispute about grammar, call us. We'll dispute it on the air, 1-877-929-9673, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. A while back on the show, we were talking about how pet names sometimes take a while to take shape. I was Mm -hmm. talking about how my partner and I have a multi-poo, and we went through several names before we finally settled on one that seemed to work. We got several emails about this, and uh, Susan from Olympia, Washington, wrote to tell us that she had a cat who was first named Orange Juice, but he ended up being named Lanny. Now, you want to know Mm. the concatenation here, Mm -hmm. to use a big word? How did you get that far? She had a cat named Orange Juice, and then it went to Juice, and then it went to Foose, and then it went to Puce, and then Pusillanimous, then Lanny Mouse, and then finally Lanny. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. I love love that. that. That's great. Well, talk to us about your favorite words and names. Call us one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Beth from Bernie, Texas. That's near San Antonio. Hello, Beth. Hello, Beth. I'm curious about the term newbie. Is used to mean a novice or a beginner because my last name is newbie, and I get teased about it fairly frequently. So I'm oh. where it came from. I I believe it was first used in the military, and now it's more like in the tech world. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's right. Where it, where the, so if you're a newbie, I'm you're excited. a greenhorn, right? Right. <laughs> a beginner. And a is novice. it N E W B Y? My last name. Yeah, mm-hmm. I believe yeah. it's a fairly commonplace name in England. Yeah, is it Scots or something? I don't know. Um, yeah, part Scotch. Yeah. Yeah, newbie does originally start in the military, probably first appeared commonly during the Vietnam War, and it starts to show up in in newspapers and books and, and the like at the late 60s and early 70s. Wow, it's just really a, stand, yeah, it's a standard abbreviation for, or a standard kind of shorthand way for new person. So you're a newbie. These days, of course, most of the people who are online are too young. <laughs> Many of the people who are young online think it's an online gaming term, but it's much older oh. than that. Online, it tends to be abbreviated to noob and spelled N00B or N-O-O-B. 
So, Beth, I'm curious, when you introduce yourself and you say, I'm Beth Newby, what do people say to you? Oh, they, they just kind of joke and they say, well, are you one? And, and, which is, <laughs> is, is kind of curious because I'm a nurse and you, you probably don't want your nurse to be a newbie. You don't no, want your nurse no. to be a newbie. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Have you ever thought of just saying, pronouncing it differently, saying newbie? No, no, I never thought of that. Or oh, noibie. Okay. Noibie, yeah. And do you, do you laugh? Are you tired of the jokes at this point? No, I, I usually laugh. I'm, oh, okay. I try to keep a good humor about it. It's sort of like going up to a tall person and saying, you're tall. You know, I mean, I know, I know. Playing basketball. Have you thought about playing basketball? Yeah, exactly. So, I, yeah, we just wondered if um, if you're tired of the jokes or. Yeah, because there's something about that first impulse that people have to say the really obvious thing. And a lot of us, I do this sometimes, I, you can't choke it back, right? You know <laughs> yeah. it's the thing that everyone says. Absolutely everyone. Your name is Newbie. That means greenhorn. That's funny. You know you you know you should not say it, but you do anyway. What is the yeah. what why can't we re- refrain? Anyway. It's just it's just giving in to the obvious, I guess. What's the weather like up there? <laughs> oh, that's tough. Well, Beth, I say okay. keep up the good work and, you know, I mean, give the patients a laugh. I think you should keep, yeah. hang on to that name. I love it. Okay. I want to be a newbie at, at, at something every point oh, yeah, of my you know life, what you, you should know? Say, you yeah. should say, you know what you should say is, yes, and today is my first day. Where do I put the needle? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. I oh, like there that. there you go. That's good. I'll try that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, insert a little grant humor in there. I, yeah. I think that'll work. All right. Well, I hope we've helped a little bit. <laughs> yes. Fun talking with you. Very interesting. Thank you. Take care. Go forth and nurse with pride. Thank you, Beth. (laughs) Yeah. Bye bye. Bye bye. Uh, I don't think she had your sarcastic sense of humor, Grant. But. No, she got it. She just understood it. wasn't funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I love it, and I love the idea of being a newbie at every point in your life. I've, you know, I've taken up new things like juggling and rowing and and learning other languages. Mm-hmm. I think it keeps you young. Well, who makes fun of your name? Give us a call and we'll help you work it out. We'll make you feel a little bit better about it. one 929 or send your questions about slang to words at waywardradio.org. Howdy, you've got a way with words. Hi, this is Jennifer from Carlsbad. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. What's up? Now, I am kind of um, an Anglophile, as it were. I love to read old English books, old English history, you know, written as... Uh, fiction or even nonfiction, mm-hmm. and in my travels through the books, I have come across people using the term for facial hair for a man, mustaches, in the plural. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And uh, I've read it several times. I've never actually heard anyone using it when they speak, but um, I haven't used the term myself when speaking to a friend and, of course, she was an English teacher and immediately told me that um, that is not the proper usage, that it is only to be used in the singular, and never in any time was it used in the plural. And I said, I, I swear, I have read this used this way. It, granted, it's been used in, you know, olden days, as it were, but I, I thought I had seen it, so I thought the only thing I can do is call Martha and Grant and see what the, what the truth is. And whose mustache or mustaches were you talking about? <laughs> I don't remember. No? <laughs> no. In my days, I have sung uh, madrigals, ah. English madrigals. Mm-hmm. And so um, she was somebody who sang madrigals with me. So it may even have come up that 
possibly we were at some kind of function that was a Renaissance function, and I happened to say, oh, they used to call it mustaches. Ah. And she was like, oh, no, oh, no. And so I thought, well, either I'm losing my mind or I misunderstood or she's wrong. Wow. One of those three options, huh? Yes. Those, hmm. are, those are our choices. Hmm. Or all three together. <laughs> Well, I so tell you, you have to save me here. We will. We will. We oh, can good, help. Good. Yes, yes, absolutely. It is much more British okay. to, uh, to say mustaches, plural. You usually see it singular, right? And another uh-huh. difference is, I don't know if you noticed this, but in Britain, it's much more common to spell it M-O-U. Right, right. Rather than mm-hmm. the way we spell it here, which is M-U-S. And mm-hmm. is it, when it is two, is it pronounced differently, like mo- Mustache. Is no, there an the emphasis on a different syllable? As far syllable? as I know, it's the same, isn't it? Uh, here we usually say mustache, right? Or mm-hmm. mustache. What do we say? Mustache? Yeah, we say mustache. mustache. And there they might right. say mustache. They, yeah, it's much more common to hear mustache with the uh, emphasis on the second syllable. And usually I had, I had read it when they were, oddly enough, it seemed like when they were complimenting or speaking. He was inordinately proud of his mustaches or something. Mm-hmm. It always right, seemed... Right, right, right. Yeah, and you always had your picture in the mind of this giant waxed kind of monstrosity on someone's face. You right, know? right. And, Some um, very grand thing. But then they... So do they They no longer use it in Britain anymore either? or It's very rare and it's kind of affected. It does occasionally pop up in historical novels that people mm-hmm. are writing when they're trying uh, to get the language of a different era. But mm-hmm. most okay. people still say mustaches. Actually, most... Or stash, or porn stash, or whatever you want to call it. Porn stash? What was that last one? I didn't miss that. <laughs> porn stash. A porn stash is the long, kind of creepy-looking mustache that looks like it might be on a porn star. <laughs> I wouldn't know, so... Uh... We wouldn't know. Me neither. Know. That's only for my reading. <laughs> is that what Brad Pitt is wearing now? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. But no, you're right. You do, you do see it in the older novels. Okay. I, I'm looking at a reference here from 1902. He twirled one mustache and then the other before he spoke again. Mm, there you right, go. So, so unless he's got one on another part of his body. Uh-oh, <laughs> don't get Grant started on that. <laughs> <laughs> so you can sleep better at night now, Oh, right? good, good. This is probably going to get me possibly lunch. We'll see. Ooh, how far I know. Push it. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad. That's not bad. Great. Well, All right, thank you well, so much. Our pleasure. Okay, take care. Uh-huh, bye-bye. 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 Call us with your disputes, your battles, your questions, and we'll just make a mess of it for you. No, we'll solve it, we'll resolve it, and you'll get lunch. Not from us. one 929 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Grant, I have another pet name for you that uh, evolved over time. This one is from Peter in Homer, Alaska. He writes, We currently have a dog who's a pit bull blue healer mix that our son rescued from inadequate owners, originally called Dumpster, under one of which he was born. Not a name we wanted to perpetuate. This dog is a sweetheart, but man, is he a handful, constantly requiring reprimands and reminders. We named him after the 19th U.S. president. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I don't know. Who's the 19th? Tyler. No, Rutherford Behave. <laughs> so his name is Rutherford? Rutherford Behave. I love it. Fantastic. That's great. Well, if you want to talk about language, give us a call, one 929 9673 or send those emails to words at waywardradio.org. That's our show for this week. 
Support for Away with Words comes from National University. Change your future today. Find out how at nu.edu. If you didn't get on the air today, you can leave us a message any old time. Just call 1-877-929-9673. Or email us at the address is words at waywardradio.org. You can also stay in touch with us all week by following us on Twitter. We're there under the username wayward, W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. We've had production help this week from Josette Herdell and Jennifer Powell. From Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And from sunny San Francisco, I'm Grant Barrett. Thanks to Howard Gelman for engineering our show from the studios of KQED Radio. Cheers. Toodaloo. If we call the whole thing off, then we must part. And oh, if we ever part, then that might break my heart. So if you like to...